majority of this year, we've been spending time in the book of Proverbs, and we've come to know the book of Proverbs as this book of practical wisdom, this book that has all these little uh, kind of somewhat short sayings that give you uh, kind of life hacks or practical ways to help you out and make your life a little bit easier. But what we sometimes overlook is that really is, in the book of Proverbs, this training ground of righteousness. In fact, the word righteous or righteousness appears 85 times in the book of Proverbs. Right Now, in comparison, that's a whole lot more than most other books. In fact, if you compare that to other sections of the Bible, it appears the word righteous or righteousness appears more in the book of Proverbs than all four of the Gospels put together. In fact, if you combine all 11 of Paul's letters in the New Testament, they still don't match up to the number of times the word righteous or righteousness appears in the book of Proverbs. The only book that the word righteous or righteousness appears more in is the book of Psalms. It appears 128 times in the book of Psalms. And you're like, well, that's a whole lot more. But you've got to remember Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. It's got 150 chapters versus Proverbs that only has 31 chapters. So by comparison, Proverbs mentions it about 2.7 times per chapter, where Psalms doesn't even get it one time per chapter. And so I want to kind of make this idea clear that what Solomon is trying to do is he really is passing on this practical wisdom to us. But what he's saying is, listen, I don't care how many life hacks I give you. I don't care how much common sense I give you. What is most important is your righteousness and where you stand with God. That if you don't get that right, then none of this other stuff is going to fall in place. If you don't get that right, and if you don't train in that kind of righteousness, if you're not running in that path, then it doesn't matter what else you do. That is the most important thing that I'm going to tell you. And so we're going to look this morning at what it looks like to kind of run the race of life with righteousness. And because this is one of the major themes of the book of Proverbs, and we're not going to look at all 85 verses that mention it this morning, I assure you of that. We're only going to look at a few of them. We're going to start with two of them, chapter 29, verse 1. 1 and chapter 18 verse 10 so if you want to look those up and kind of put your finger in 18 10 and we'll read that one second um, in chapter 29 verse 1 and we'll see kind of this idea of what does it look like to be righteous what does God call us to do if we're going to claim to be righteous and so we'll start with chapter 28 verse 1 and it simply says this the wicked flee when no one is pursuing them but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Right, now, I want to flip backwards a little bit to chapter 18 and read verse 10. It says, The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for the words that you have already spoken through your word this morning. God, that you are a strong tower. God, that you are a place of protection and security, God. And as we work through these words that you have spoken this morning, God, I am praying with those this morning who are desperately seeking what you have already said you are. God, I'm praying for those this morning who are sitting here or those watching online, God, that have not found this place of comfort. They've not found this place of rest because they are constantly on the run. And so, God, this morning, I'm praying that you're speaking loud. And I'm praying that you're speaking clear enough that, that even in our running away, God, that we can hear you call us by name. So God, in this day, in this moment, that we will come running back to you, Father. And so God, I pray that, that we will listen to your words. I pray that we will claim your beautiful promises. God, I pray this morning that we will be stewards and students of your word this morning, Father. God, I pray that you speak. God, if need be, yell. If need be, scream at us so loudly, so God, that we are unmistakably hearing your voice above everything else, Father. 
And God, I pray that we will listen and we will respond. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My first year of high school, which was a long time ago, um, I went out for the soccer team because I really loved playing soccer. And so I got out there for tryouts, and, and I realized it didn't take me very long to realize that me as a freshman, this tiny little guy, um, was nowhere near where I should be to make this team. There were a whole lot of guys out there that were loved soccer and they loved playing soccer. There were a whole lot of guys much bigger than me. And, and what I really found out was that a whole lot of them were faster than me and a whole lot better shape than me. They were much better conditioned than I had been. Now, some of them had been to camps, and some of them had been doing summer workouts all summer long. I'd been doing construction work, which wasn't quite the same kind of conditioning as what they'd been doing. And so it didn't take me long to realize that, like, when we were doing runs, I was always near the back of the pack, all right? Like, the leaders were always up front and, and way out there, and I was never, I wasn't one of them, okay? I, I was never in that front pack. I was always in the back. In fact, some days we would start our practices with a mile run. That was the first thing we had to do, stretch and then go run a mile. And, and I was so far behind that I almost, several times, I almost got lapped by the leaders. They were that much better conditioned, that much better shaped than I was. And, like, and they were doing this thing like it wasn't nothing. And I was like almost on hands and knees crawling to get this done. And, and so I, I, I was fortunate enough, I made the team. And, and, and Coach kind of told me, he said, listen, um, really, we don't have many people to cut. And if I had many more options, you would probably be one that I cut. And I was like... It's going to be a great season. This is going to be awesome. And he told me, he said, you know that you're not like these other guys. You know that you're not as fast as these other guys. You know that you're not conditioned like these other guys. And if you want more playing time, in fact, if you want to see the field at all, that's what you need to strive for. And so some of you know me. I'm a little bit competitive. Um, I've got a little competitive streak in me, whether it's a board game or Pictionary or soccer. or, or like I, I don't like to be in the back of the pack. Wherever, whatever it is, I don't like to be in that back group. And so during um, my freshman year, we had to take PE like everybody does. And so when we had times where the, our PE teacher would just take us out to the track, and he really didn't care. Like he was, I mean, this, this sounds bad. He was that PE teacher like, I'm going to take you out of the track, and you guys just do something. And so knowing that, that I needed to work on, on running and, and getting faster and, and being more conditioned, me and another guy, we started running together during that time, right? So everybody else was walking, meandering around, maybe throwing football, and we started running around the track. And he was a cross-country runner, and he was kind of the same way. Like, he was the little guy on the team and, and not in the fast group, and, and I was the same way with soccer. But we started running together, and we kind of did this every single day that we got to go out to the track. And so finally, one day, we were out there, and this coach that we'd never seen, this guy that we'd never seen before, he calls us over. And we know he's, he's a teacher, so we go over there to him, and he introduced, he's the track coach. And he said, listen, I see you two boys out here running almost every single day that you can. I see you guys out here running. Why don't you guys come run on the track team? Since you enjoy running so much, why don't you just sign up and, and you can run on the track team? You can run the long distance runs that you're doing and it'll be great. And so my friend who had been running with me, like he was a runner. And so he was like, yeah, absolutely. I love running. I, I'll run like days. I'll run at nights, like whenever. And so then he looks at me and he says, what about you? Do you, do you, do you want to run on the track team? Don't, don't you enjoy running? And I said, sir, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't like to run. And he kind of looked at me puzzled, and he was like, but you're running. And I said, I, I, I am running, but I don't do this because I like it. I don't do this because I enjoy this. I'm doing this because 
I want to be a better soccer player. I'm running because I love soccer, and this is what it's going to take for me to be a better soccer player and get to be on the field and get to do the thing I love the most. And so the only reason I'm out here doing this is because I want to do something better than this, more than this, I guess. I want to play soccer, and that's the reason I'm running. And he said, that's no problem at all. He said, soccer's in the fall, track is in the spring. So you run track with me in the spring, and then you'll be better shaped for fall soccer. And I was like, oh, okay, well, now that makes logical sense. And so I did. After soccer season, I started running um, indoor track and outdoor track, and I did that every year. And that's what kept me conditioned so that in the fall, I was in better shape to play soccer than I was the year before. Now, we're going to fast forward like a really long time. From when I was in high school, I have recently started picking up this whole running trend again. Um, Nowhere near the speed that I was going, nowhere near the, the, the endurance that I was going, but I've recently started picking up running again. Um, but I've got to tell you, my reason for running now is very different than it was back then, okay? Back then, it was I was competitive, and I wanted to be number one, and I loved soccer. And now, if you see me running through the mad streets of Cleveland, um, you'll know that I'm not competing for a race, okay? I'm not running for, to uh, compete on a soccer team. That's not why I'm doing it. If you see me out there running, some of you are already looking behind me like, what's chasing Pastor Michael? Like, why is he running down the road? I assure you, if you see me running, there's nothing chasing me, but there is one reason that I run. So if you see me anytime out running, there's one reason I'm doing it, and it's because I love ice cream. Right? I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I love sweets, and I love ice cream, and I have recently found out that I cannot eat like I ate when I was 15 and 20 years old and, and wear the same size pants that I did. All right. So if I'm going to continue somewhat being healthy, and uh, I've got to do something different. And so I've started picking up this running, but my reason for running over these years has changed quite a bit because I love to eat, and this, is, this makes me feel better. Like I feel like I'm justified if I, if I I run and then I go eat ice cream like those calories don't count at all right I know that's not how it works and we're not going to get in all that debate and there's so if you see me there's nothing chasing me it's just I'm really running towards my next ice cream cone is the only reason that I'm running and so really if we look at this kind of subject of of righteousness in the book of Proverbs this is really what Proverbs teaches us about righteousness that righteousness above everything else will change the reason that you run now I know what some of you are sitting here thinking you're like Michael I don't run you mentioned it, I don't run unless something is chasing me, unless there's an emergency, and then I'm okay laying down and playing dead. I know what some of you are thinking, all right? And and you're like, I don't do this whole running thing, but the reality is that you may not be physically, literally running, but all of us are in this race of life, that we're all running this race of life. And so really the question is not, are you running? Really the question that we need to think through and kind of work through this morning is, why are you running? And there's really only two answers for why you're running. You're either running away from something or you're running towards something. You're either trying to, to get away from something or you've got a target in mind that you're trying to go to. And so which one of those two is the reason that you're on this race of life? Which one of those kind of describes you this morning? So the first proverb that we're going to talk about kind of looks at the reason that people are running away. And so the first proverb we read this morning was chapter 28, verse 1, and we want to kind of go back to that. And I've heard a lot of folks, this is the one that folks say, this is why I don't run, because it describes you as, as a bad person if you run with nothing chasing you. But Proverbs chapter 28, I want to make sure we kind of understand what he's talking about here. In chapter 28, verse 1, he says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, 
but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So in this verse, Solomon kind of sets up this huge contrast between the, wick, the wicked ones and the righteous. And what he says is the wicked ones are fleeing. They are running away. Right? And they are running away, they're fleeing because they, they have a guilty conscience. They're fearful of something. They're afraid of getting caught. And so they'll flee because they know that if they stop in one place for too long, something's going to catch up to them, and they're going to have to deal with an issue that they've been running away from for a really long time. Right? So, so they, they are constantly on the run. They're running from remorse. They're running from past regrets. They're very skittish to, to anything that may kind of spark, hey, here's what's happened, and now it's coming back to you. And so they're running from the consequences of their own actions. And some of them honestly think that if they'll just keep moving, then even God can't catch up to them to judge them. And for us, that sounds like this crazy idea. But think back in the Old Testament, this guy named Jonah, when God told him to go do something. We talked about this in Bible school this week. When God told him to go do something, what did he do? He's like, no, I'll just outrun God. I'll just get on a boat to somewhere else. Oh, by the way, it didn't work for Jonah. And guess what? It's not going to work for you either. Okay, so people have this idea that if they just keep moving, even though nobody or nothing is chasing them, they're constantly on the move, and they're constantly running away. And uh, for them, there, there's no sense of security. There's no safe place to hide. And they're constantly in this running over and over and over, and they're fleeing, and they're constantly running away from their past or from God who they think is ready to punish them. And so some of you know from firsthand experience that that is exhausting. And I say you know that from first-hand experience, not because you have been physically running for a really long period of time, but for some of you, this verse has somewhat described you, and you're like, oh, I'm not a wicked person, but some of you know what it feels like to constantly be on the run. Because my guess is in a crowd this size, and, and you folks that are watching online, there's some of us maybe here, maybe watching online, that you are on the run, and you are running from past regrets that you think are constantly chasing you down, and, and things that you are running away from. And some of you, uh, it may be this, that just when you start to get settled down, and things start to calm down, those past regrets find their way back to you, and so you take off running again. For some of you, it may be a past relationship that, that's kind of haunted you, and, and you've left the relationship, you've left the person a long time ago, but there, there's pain and there's scars that, that came with that relationship, and so you've just taken off running. And for years, you've been running. You, like I said, you've left that relationship and that person a long time ago, but you're still running because the pain is still there. The, the, the remorse of what you did in that relationship or, or what happened to you in that relationship, it's still there. And so for some of you, you're still running from a past relationship. For some of you, it may be a childhood that you are, are, are trying to put behind you, but it keeps coming back to haunt you. And for some of you, there's just remorse in your past. For some of you, it may be addiction, that, that you've even moved to a new town to get away from your old ways and and you think you're okay but just when you start to let your guard down just when you start to get comfortable you find that those old habits catch back up with you and the only thing you can think to do is take off running and take off fleeing again and so you run because it's the only way that you know how to handle this and so you just run and you run and you just keep running away over and over and over again and for some of you this isn't just words on a page this is the reality you're living in and for some of you you are exhausted because you've spent the majority of your life running away from stuff in your past. And the good news this morning is that it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to constantly be on the run. And Solomon tells us this. He, he tells us there is this other option. The other option is what he says at the end of verse 1. He says, listen, th there are wicked people. There are, there are people that are fleeing all the time. But at the end of verse 1, there are some that are as bold as a lion. 
You see, that's the other option. We don't have to be running all the time. We can be bold as a lion. I don't know if you've ever seen lions, but they don't run from a lot. Right? They, don't, they don't get scattered, and they don't, they don't get spooked when the leaves start to rustle. They don't get nervous when another animal comes close to them. They're, they're not looking over their shoulder, and they're not running away from stuff. Lions are courageous. They are solid. They are sturdy. They hold their ground because inside of them there is this strength that knows I've got whatever is coming my way, and I don't have to worry about it because what's inside of me is these muscles and these strength that I have like no other creatures out here, and I can face whatever comes my way. And so a lion's not going to take off running. He's going to stand his ground. And for some of you, you're so busy running, you never thought this was an option. You never thought that you could stand your ground. And the reason some of you never thought that is because you thought you didn't have the strength to stand up to whatever you thought was chasing you in the first place. You see, the difference between those who flee and those who are bold as lions is this one little word that he puts right in the middle. It is those that are righteous. You see, the strength that allows some people to stand while other people constantly run away is not the power of our muscles or the sharpness of our teeth. It is the righteousness that we have in our life. The, the reason that some people run and some people are bold is because of righteousousness. This righteousness is not timid. They're, they're not someone who's easily spooked. They're not someone who runs away from their past and their past regrets. In fact, the righteous people, they don't run away at all. They're still running because we're all running this race of life, but they're not running away. You see, the righteous people are not running away. They're running towards something else. And so in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it tells us what they're running to. And I love this verse. This is a great verse. If you, if you need a verse to memorize this week, if you need something to, to, to get you through to next week, hold on to this verse. Right In Proverbs 18, 10, it says this, The name of Yahweh, or the name of the Lord, is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected. Or some translations say, they might say they are saved. And there's something interesting about this verse. This is the only time in the whole book of Proverbs that the name of God is mentioned. Right? So nowhere else it talks about him, it talks about who he is, but this is the only time it mentions him by name. So the righteous, they don't run away from their past because they ran to the Lord. The righteous don't run away because they ran to the mighty name of God. The righteous run to the one who created them. The righteous run and they find this mighty fortress. The righteous have run to the one who can protect them. They ran to the one who loves them. They ran to the one who gave his life for them. They ran to the name that is above every other name. They don't run away because they ran towards something. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor, put it this way. He says, this running implies that they are carrying nothing. He says, the man who has a load will be impeded on his flight, but the righteous run like a race in the game who has thrown off everything. Their sins, they lead to mercy. Their works, they lead to the moles in the back. You see, the goal of the righteous is not to bring Jesus your stuff. It's not to bring Jesus your baggage. It's not to bring Jesus all this stuff that you think counts for anything. The goal of the righteous is simply get to Jesus and leave everything else behind you. Get to Jesus as fast as you can. The righteous and those that are righteous are there not because of what they did, but they're righteous because of what he did. You see, they didn't bring stuff to Jesus, and Jesus is like, oh, look, this is impressive. I like this. I give you my righteousness. Now, the only reason they are righteous is because they came to the place that righteousness was found. It's not found anywhere else. They, they didn't get this righteousness because they had all these great things. They got this righteousness because they came and they ran to the one place. They ran to the strong tower. They, they ran not away from the past, but to a God who took care of their past, to a Jesus who died on the cross and took their past. The righteous know that the only place that you're going to have to find righteousness and grace and mercy is at the foot of the cross. And so this morning, 
If you're here, I want you to stop running from your past and run to the one place that you can find rest. The one place that you'll find refuge. The one place that you'll find mercy and grace. And one place is simply at the foot of the cross. You see, it's there that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He makes it so clear. He's speaking of Jesus. He says, He, God, made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This past week, we played a game during VBS, and, and I told everybody that came out there this was my favorite game that we played during Vacation Bible School, and it was called Crown Tag. And the way Crown Tag worked is there were people who were it, and there were people who were runners, and there were a few people that had crowns, right? And so if you were it, your job was to tag everybody else, except you could not tag the people that had the crowns. And, and so if you tagged someone who was not it, then they had to freeze. They were stuck in that spot, right? The only way that they got unstuck was if the person who had the crown came to them and gave up their crown, gave the crown to you. So if I'm stuck in my spot, the only way I get out of this spot is someone has to come to me, and they don't just tag me and say, tag, you you can run now. What they had to do is they had to give up their crown and give it to me, which means they gained nothing from the exchange. They gave up everything because they didn't have to run. They didn't have to run away from who was it because he couldn't tag them anyway. They had complete immunity, complete freedom, freedom they could go wherever they want not worry about a thing and yet they gave that up to the person who was stuck and the reason I love that game so much is because every time I watch those kids play it it's exactly what Jesus did for us you see I was stuck and you were stuck in choices that we made and sins that we chose above him and the only way that we got out of that situation was not because we brought anything not because we could do anything because someone came and gave up something for us. And that someone in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is the one who gave it all. The one who didn't gain anything because he didn't have any sins to die for, yet he died on the cross to give you his crown. And what did you get? Everything. You got the righteousness, which means you got the strong tower. You got the protection. You got the grace. You got the mercy. And you got everything that you ever desired. And not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but simply because you cried out and you ran to Him and He gave it to you. And so this morning, if you are running, you are exhausted from running away, I want to encourage you, this is the time to stand bold. This is the time to stop running away from a past that you can't do anything about and start running to a God who says, I took care of your past when I died on the cross for you. This is the day and this is the time where you don't have to run away. You can stand bold and you can stand firm knowing that the only thing that's running from behind you or chasing you is His goodness and His mercy because His cross took care of everything in your past. There is no more remorse. There is no more regret. There are no more scars. There is no more pain because His cross handled it all. You see, the righteous are not righteous because of what they did. They're righteous because they ran to the right place and they found the one place that they didn't have to worry about judgment. They found the one place they didn't have to worry about regret. They found the one place they didn't have to worry about remorse or pain or guilt or shame because it was all taken care of on the cross. And the, the, the idea of righteousness has really more to do with your relationship than anything else. 
And that relationship that you have with Him is what He desires more than anything. In fact, that's the second thing it teaches us in the book of Proverbs about righteousness, that it is more important, it's more valuable than any sacrifice that you ever think you can make. And so we understand that Solomon is writing this during the Old Testament time. And in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of different sacrifices. We tend to kind of focus in on one, but there were several different sacrifices for several different reasons. One of them was what we call kind of a Thanksgiving offering or Thanksgiving sacrifice. And so you would typically bring some, something that you grew, some produce or some grain or something that you grew, and you would bring it to the temple and you would present that to God and saying, kind of thank you for giving this to me, for providing for my family, and I'm going to give this back to you now. And so there was this sacrifice. And so people kind of saw how much you were bringing into the sacrifice. And they kind of measured your value on what you brought. Because if you just brought a little bit, that meant that God only blessed you a little bit that year. But if you brought a whole lot, that means that you were doing something right and God blessed you a whole lot. And so people kind of sat back and they watched how much people were bringing into this Thanksgiving offering. And so really, this is the kind of offering that, that Solomon discusses in chapter 15, verse 8, and chapter 21, verse 7. So let me first look at 15, 8, and he says this, The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayers of the upright is his delight. And so this sacrifice is something that's within the worship service. This is part of their worship that they do. And go on to chapter 21, verse 27. It says, The sacrifice of the wicked, again, is detestable. How much more so when they bring an ulterior motive? You see, the wicked, we've already talked about, and the wicked is someone who does not have a right, right relationship nor a concern about God. So here's someone bringing into the temple something they're going to give to God, but they really don't care about God or their relationship with God. And so it tells you already what their motive for bringing this in is not about God. It's about the people that are around. Let me bring in this big, huge heap of, of, of wheat. And so everybody will think, man, God, that guy's really onto something. That guy either knows how to farm or God's really blessed him. And so look at all that he's brought in. And so all these people are sitting around watching back. Wow, man, that's, that's awesome. Look how much he's sacrificing. Look how great he's giving up all this stuff. Let me translate that into modern times. Man, that person's so great. Did you see how, much, did you see how many $100 bills they dropped in the offering plate last week? Did you know how many zeros were on that check they wrote last week? Let me put it to you a different way. Man, that person, they're here every single Sunday. Sunday morning, they were here on Sunday nights. When we did Sunday night, they're here Wednesday. Like that person is just here all the time. In fact, I'm pretty sure they haven't missed a Sunday service in like 10 years. In fact, I heard last year they even skipped their family vacation so they could be here on a Sunday morning. Can I tell you something? That might impress the people sitting around you, but without the relationship with God, that doesn't impress him the slightest bit. In fact, what does he tell you in this verse? That's all your sacrifice. But guess what? If you're not concerned about your relationship with me and coming to me, that's detestable to me. Which means I'd rather you not be here than be here for a show that you're going to put on for everybody else. You see, what he's telling you is that your relationship with him is more important than what you sing on a Sunday morning. Your relationship is more with him is more important 
then the, the amount you drop in the offering plate, the relationship you have with Him is more important than the number of times you show up at a church or the number of teams that you serve on or the number of worship services you attend. Your righteousness is better than these sacrifices. What He really wants from you is this relationship to, to, to be with Him and to be part of who He is and what He's doing. He wants you to love Him more than all of this other stuff that you think you're doing to impress Him or anybody else because if you're not in love with Him full-heartedly, wholeheartedly desiring Him then it's detestable to him. You see, the other common sacrifice that took place in the Old Testament wasn't this thanksgiving that you were giving in response. It was really a sin sacrifice, that you have done something that you know is wrong or you're guilty of, of you did something God told you not to do or, or you didn't do something God told you to do. And so you make up for it by bringing the sin sacrifice. This is the one that most, most of us think of when we think of sacrifice. This is the one that requires you to bring an animal. And, and not just any animal. Like, you couldn't bring your, like, lame, three-legged sheep in there, okay? You had to bring your best. In fact, it wasn't uncommon for you to take the animal you were going to sacrifice, bring it into your house, and treat it like one of your household, not even a pet, like a household member for a couple of months so that you got it and you made sure everything was perfect about this. That's the animal that you took to sacrifice. That's how important this was. And then you took it and you took it and you slaughtered it and then the priest butchered it and they laid it on the altar and, and the smoke from it went up to heaven and they said that was the pleasing aroma that went up to God. But what Proverbs tells us is that rather than the smoke and the pleasing aroma of a burnt animal on the altar, what God really wants is for you to be obedient in the very first place. What he'd, rather you what he'd rather have is for you not to be making that sacrifice because you were obedient to follow him and do what he said in the first place. He makes this clear in Proverbs chapter 21, uh, verse 3, when he says this, Doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. What God is saying, I'd rather have you obedient than giving up your choice animals. Your choice animals are important, but they're not as important as you walking like you're supposed to walk. They're not as important as you doing what you're supposed to do. I'd rather you, you follow my word the first time and try to impress me that way than bringing me this great sacrifice. In fact, one commentator put it this way, and I never even thought about it like this until I read this guy's story. He says, God here is saying how we obey Him and how we treat others is more important than how we perform any religious ceremony even the most sacred one as the sacrifice. And the guy goes on to say, he says, this is the truth that was missed by the priest and the Levite in Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. That they were so concerned about being religiously clean or unclean that they didn't stop to help someone else in need. And what God is telling you through the book of Proverbs is I'd rather you listen to me and treat others like you want to be treated than bringing me an offering and telling me you're sorry over and over and over again. He makes it clear that this right relationship with Him is more important than all these religious acts. This right relationship with Him is more important than constantly coming to Him saying, hey, I messed up, I'm sorry. And then the next day doing the exact same thing. The next day doing the exact same thing. He said, no, I'd rather you love me more than your love and whatever you're apologizing for. I'd rather you love me and pursue me than anything else. The third thing that he says about righteousness is that righteousness produces fruit, that it should be evident in our life. And he tells us in, in chapter 11, 
verse 30, he says, The fruit of the righteousness is a tree of life, but violence takes lives. Maybe a different translation if you have it would say, The fruit of righteousness is the tree of life, and whoever captures or wins souls is wise. And that's probably a little better translation uh, than, than what we have on the screen here. But this idea that a right relationship of God should be evident in how you live your life. That somebody should be able to look at your life in a relationship with God and compare it to somebody who's not in a relationship with God, and they should be able to see a difference. Right? Let's be honest. You should not look like and act like your lost co-workers. You should not look like and act like your lost neighbors. Right? And you're like, well, I just need to fit in with them. I just need to, 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 this is the way I'm going to win them over. Guess what? You're not going to win them over by looking like them. Can I tell you, that's part of the reason the church, not this church, but the church universal, that's part of the reason the church is the, the shape that it's in. It's because we wanted to blend into a world. We wanted to mix in with the world so that we could pull them out. And guess what? We didn't pull them out. They pulled us in. And so what happened is they looked at us and they're like, oh, oh, you're a Christian. You believe in God, yet you're doing the exact same things I am. So guess what? I must be good with God too. And they didn't see a difference in our life. And they didn't see a difference in the way we were living and the things that we were doing versus the way they were living. They, were, they didn't see any difference. And so if they didn't see a difference, they thought, well, God doesn't make a difference. And if God doesn't make a difference, then well, I don't need him. And so part of our problem was we weren't producing fruits in our righteousness. We weren't looking any different. Galatians 5 uh, talks about the fruits of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. And so if you are righteous, if that's the title you're claiming because you came to the cross, if, if that's the title you're claiming because you have a relationship with God, then that's what you should be seeing in your life. Each and every day you should be growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. And, and, and it not should just be you, but you, other people should see this in your life. You know, when I was growing up, we had an apple tree in our backyard. We actually had two of them. And one of them died a very premature death because for years and years and years we walked out there. And you know what we saw? Leaves. That was it. And then we'd see blooms. And then more leaves. There was never any apples on that apple tree. And so my dad decided this apple tree is never going to grow apples. And so you know what he did with it? He cut it down. Because there was another apple tree that we could plant in its place that actually would produce apples. And so for some of us, we look like the apple tree in my backyard. That we got leaves and we may look, and we're even going to bloom. But there's no results from what God is doing in our lives. And so if we're going to claim righteousness, if we're going to claim the cross has taken care of our past, then we've got to live like it makes a difference. We've got to act like there's something different in our life. We've got to be love. We've got to be peace. We've got to be joy. We've got to have patience. We've got to have self-control. When nobody else does, you see a right relationship with God isn't going to leave you exactly where he found you. He's going to create in you something different. He's going to create in you a desire to produce these things. And he's going to make it so evident and so attractive that other people are going to want what you have. You see, a right relationship with God should be contagious and that that's what it talks about at the end of that verse, that you should be desiring to bring others to Him or other people should see such a great thing in you that they want it. And so you're capturing or you're winning souls. A right relationship with you produces fruit, not just in your life, but it's going to produce fruit in other people's lives as well because you produced fruit and they saw it and they desired it. And so you won them over by what they saw in your life. Let me end with one last thing. Righteousness is this constant pursuit. One last verse that we're going to look at is chapter 15, verse 9. 
You see, so often we come to this point and we like, well, righteousness was purchased at the cross, and it was, and, and righteousness happened for me the day that I gave my life to Christ, and you're absolutely right. But what this verse is going to show us is that's not the end of the story. You see, this verse is a little different. Chapter 15, verse 9 says this, The Lord detests the ways of the wicked. That sounds familiar. We've heard that before. But He loves the one who pursues righteousness. And the reason this verse is so important in our talk about righteousness is these last two words, pursues righteousness. And I'm going to work through them backwards. This word righteousness is actually a different Hebrew word than the other words we've been talking about. You see, the other words we've been talking about where righteousness appears talks about these actions that we do, this, this right standing before God. And this one can carry that same connotation, but it has a little different idea with it as well. This is the, the, this is the attribute of God. Now, if you've had kids in vacation Bible school, they've heard this word attribute all week long. It means it's a characteristic of God. Right? So this is a characteristic of God. This is different than what you are doing because this is describing God. And so this righteousness, the same English word, but it's a different Hebrew word. This is the righteousness of God. Now notice the word right in front of it. Pursues. Right? The tense of that verb doesn't mean that you got to it and you stopped. Because the reality is that none of us in this life are going to get to the righteousness of God. None of us are going to get to the place that, that God is exactly like us and we are righteous just like God. None of us are going to get to that point. And so what this verse calls us to do is to constantly pursue. You see, righteousness is not the end of the game. It's not the end of the race. It is the start of the race that once you have ran to the cross, then you keep running after Him day in and day out. You are constantly pursuing Him. And so you're pursuing Him and his characteristics. You want to be more like him. You want to learn more about him so that you can be like him. You're seeking him more and who he is more in each and every day. And so you keep growing to more and more like him every day. You see, you're running to the cross is great, but that's not the end of your salvation. It seals it for you, no doubt. But if you stop there, then you really cut short on what righteousness is. If you stop the day that you walked an aisle, or the day that you got baptized, the day that you gave your life to Christ, if you stop pursuing God and pursuing righteousness, then what you did is you said, I've got all I need, and I'm done. What you really did, according to this verse, is you said, I'm just like God, and I don't have anything else to learn. I don't have any more changes to make in my life. I'm as good as God is. And I can share with you that as much as the blood of Jesus has washed you clean, you are not like God. You cannot claim the full righteousness of God. And so this verse is what stands in the way of all those who one day can tell you, yeah, I was 8 years old, I was 10 years old, I walked an aisle, I got baptized, and then they never came back to a church since then. This verse is the one that tells you that righteousness is not what you did five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. It's not what you did when you were a kid and you came to vacation Bible school and you raised your hand when somebody asked for an invitation. This verse is what tells you righteousness is not only what you did then, but it's the direction you are still running now. You see, we talked about you are all running this race, and whether you're running away from something or you're running to something, this is the verse that tells you when you got to the foot of the cross, you kept running towards Christ because the foot of the cross was the starting line, not the finish line, and you 
you keep running to this day because He is the way to keep running. And you want to be more like Him tomorrow than you are today. And the next day, you want to be more like Him. And so righteousness doesn't stop the day that you walked an aisle, you got baptized, you gave your life to Him. That's the start of it. And righteousness is your consistent pursuit of what you're chasing after. And so this morning, some of you are still running away instead of running to. And you haven't even gotten to the starting line. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if that's the case, then come to the place where you're finding rest because the race to God is a whole lot easier than the race from God. Running towards Him in this race of righteousness, pursuing after Him, is because we can be as bold as lion, not because we have the muscles or the teeth, but because we have a strength within us because of what He gives us that allows us to pursue after Him. You see, and this is the race that we're called to run. This is what it looks like to run after righteousness. It is constant. It is consistent. It is pursuing after Him each and every day of our life. Let's pray together.